What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Athletic Soccer Show. I am Jeff Reuter and we are days away. Do you feel it? You feeling a little bit a little bit lightheaded? Maybe your your fluids aren't quite refilled. You need to be able to go, you know, get some Gatorade or something cuz you got MLS fever, baby. We're getting there. We're getting there. Saturday is the start of the 2023 MLS season with an afternoon kickoff first before a whole slate of games which will be on Apple's new streaming platform for Major League Soccer. Uh, you've got a whole schedule that you'll have to keep up on, but to try to fill you in on some of the teams of interest in a different way, I've brought in one of my favorite writers in the country. He is a, a good tactical analyst. He uh, heads up backheeled independent website covering American soccer, and he's on the Total Soccer Show. He's on a lot of things. I wrote a piece with him last week about Weston McKenney. You recognize his name. I guarantee it. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, thank you for hopping on on such short notice to, to talk some uh, major league soccer. Oh, Jeff, it's, it's an honor. First of all, I'm thrilled to be here. And I was wondering why I felt so weird. Like I didn't understand what these symptoms were. I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's nothing more serious than MLS fever, but also <laughs> MLS fever might be the most serious illness of all. I'm not really sure where that Probably. falls in the severity <laughs> scale, but this all makes way more sense to me now. I appreciate you diagnosing what's going on with me. No, I totally get it. I mean, we're both just in all gray looking at us and this <laughs> yeah, is true. an audio format, but we are both just head to toe gray, yeah. <laughs> uh, which, uh, which is indicative of being sick. I think often. Yeah, so it must yeah. be MLS fever. And I, look, we've talked uh, last week. I brought on Michele Giannone to talk about newcomers or players who move teams. So it also was domestic trades, transactions, the Derek Etienne all-stars, all that sort of stuff. But I think that if we're looking at it today, let's look at coaches. Because I think that so often when we get into season preview mode, we're focused on the team. How do they fit? How do the 11 players on the field, the next four guys off the bench, the, the 15 guys after that on the roster, how do they all come together? Who's the star? Who's the new player? Who's the young guy who just came to Major League Soccer from South America or Europe who's going to try to to make his name here? But we're, we're going a little off the path, but not too far off the path. And we're going to look at some head coaches who have been in Major League Soccer with these clubs. Maybe they're at a new club. Maybe they joined midseason. But whatever the case something interesting about them to the two of us. And so, Joe, let's go ahead and start with a name on your list. Who is sure. a coach of interest to you in this 2023 season? So the first one for me that I've got my eyes on, and I've, I've just got my eyes on this team pretty closely, is Greg Vanny leading the mm. LA Galaxy. Mm -hmm. To be honest, this is kind of like breaking outside of the mold that we set for ourselves, but I, I'm interested about the tactical stuff. And I think there's a whole bunch of interesting wrinkles that we could see with Ricky Pouge and ways we could see the Galaxy do stuff this year. Chicharito's health and fitness is already in question. And so there's, I mean, there's all sorts of different permutations here. But the way that I'm really thinking about Greg Vanny right now, especially, is as an interim chief soccer officer, which is what he is with all the, <laughs> yeah. the chaos yeah. going on with the LA Galaxy. He is the one, as far as I understand, and, and people that know way more than I do about this stuff, say he's the one making the calls right now. And because the Galaxy can't register any new incoming players in the summer transfer window, right. which is you know sort of the reasonable time you expect a lot of MLS teams to like figure out the last piece or two that they need. Maybe that's when we'd see the Galaxy go and snag central midfield depth. Instead of doing it now, maybe they rely on the academy. But they don't really have that same flexibility. They can still sign players in the summer and, and all that stuff. But Danny's the one making the calls, and he's making the calls right now in the most important transfer window the Galaxy will have in 2023. So for me, that's a, a huge question. I'm fascinated to see what he's going to do because, Jeff, the Galaxy need players still. It looks like, you know, according to, to Tom Bogart, and I think maybe others have had this as well, I don't know, it seems like the right-back spot is being addressed after Julian Araujo has, has left for FC Barcelona. But right. they do need cover in central midfield that I just mentioned there. And they really need wingers. They signed Tyler Boyd, who's like a... Oh, that put me in a real throwback machine with the U.S. national team. That's like the, the 2019 Gold Cup fever right there with yeah. Tyler Boyd. That's what it got. Yeah. I got. I was thinking about Curacao all day yesterday. But... Uh, you know, they need they need like a star. They need a, at least a starter on the in the in the wide channels. And so I, I think Vanny's going to have a lot to do. And I'm fascinated to see how it all comes together. 
I think that what's especially interesting here, we're in year three. And I think that when Greg Vanny came in, the, the question was, how quickly can we turn this thing around? Zlatan had just left, right? LAFC was emerging. This was right before that they had their little bit of dip in 2021. And so there was a big question of, are the Galaxy able to keep up with LAFC? Uh, they were more consistent over the last two years. Yes, both teams missed the playoffs in 2021. But for the Galaxy, it was excruciating on the foot of Justin Miram, you know, thousands of miles away, hundreds of miles away. I guess it was only in Utah. But um, whatever the case is, like... Um, it was an issue. It was, you know, like that was not how year one was supposed to go. Year two, a little bit better, still lost in the postseason. So I, I think the question is, what is the ceiling at this point for this Galaxy yeah. team? Because when you look at the players on the roster as well, which again, I think that does part of the conversation with Greg Vanny and others who are wearing that sort of CSO responsibility. That roster is at this point no longer that of his predecessors, right? This is mm-hmm. not a Scolotto roster anymore. This is really a roster which he's had so much influence over. Yeah. And Douglas Costa's on it. And, and it's one that I, I still just don't fully understand what the vision was, what the hope was with that signing. Um, it certainly didn't come off last year, aside from a couple of free kicks, uh, but he's still there. And, and they're, yeah. they're going to need to be able to get more out of him. MLS teams last fall seemed like they were pretty caught unaware that Ricky Pooch was even on like offer from major league soccer clubs. And so they were kind of reacting to how is he pulling strings in the midfield? They'll have a whole off season to see how he plays alongside Gaston Brugman and Mark Delgado. And now they have yeah. Memo Rodriguez who uh, probably is going to be playing off of the left wing. Um, and then also might tuck into the midfield. He'll get a lot of minutes. It's just going to be all over the place. And that's another question too, is what do you do with Memo Rodriguez? How do you get more out of him? Um, you know, they had Oriel Russell, uh, training with them, you know, former midfielder for Sporting Kansas City in Orlando, um, more of a depth option. But again, that that is necessary for them at this point. But yeah, so often with the Galaxy, this is a team that looks like it is still very individually driven, um, especially by modern standards. I think that when you look at a lot of MLS teams over the last four years, it's become more tactically diverse. I think that you see a broader style holistic approach pool from across the entire conference. You're not necessarily able to look like a decade ago and say like, okay, the number two team in the West is just executing the same tactical philosophy as the number 11 team in the West. They're just doing it better. Mm-hmm. Um, so now there is that kind of diversity of thought. And, and I think with the galaxy, we still fixate, we fixate it on Zlatan. We fixate on Ricky Pooch. We f- fixate on Chicharito, right? It doesn't always come across as cohesive and coherent yeah. of this yeah. is what Greg is trying to get his team to do. And part of that was the individuals available. And part of that is the evolution of a team whose roster is being phased out from one coach to the other. So I want to see what Vanny wants to do with his L.A. team. I hope with the roster this year, it'll be a little easier for him to make that clear and concise. Um but again, it, it, it all comes down to the players who are available, who they're able to replace the, the Julian Araujo side. What are they going to do with their fullbacks? Is it wingbacks? Is it fullbacks? Um, mm-hmm. You know, whatever the case is here, too. So um, good pick. Good, good yeah. strong yeah. pick from the top. There's a lot of work left to be done in L.A., but their ceiling, Jeff, for me, is is a trophy this year, is mm. MLS Cup. Probably not the Shield, right, because of where the roster is now. I, I have a hard time envisioning that. But sure. if we're talking about midfields, and, and that's obviously important, right? I'm not breaking any new ground here. <laughs> it is difficult for me to come up with a midfield trio in MLS. Maybe not impossible, but it's difficult. That's better than Gaston Brugman and Mark Delgado and Ricky Pouge, right? I mean, because Pouge is, is miles ahead, in my view, of every other central midfielder in the league. He's not quite a 10. He's not quite an 8. He kind of does a, a little bit of everything. But, I mean, he, is, he looks like a former Barcelona player that's yeah. also in his prime. And, and MLS has just never had that before, right? So it is the pressure is on Greg Vanny for, for us to see the principles of play really you know, played out on the field but also to, to not waste this trophy window because Puig, Puj, excuse me, has come in and, and propped the window open. It wouldn't yeah. have been open otherwise, I don't think. And now it's open and it's up to the Galaxy not just slam it shut on themselves. And, and ultimately, at this point, a lot of that's going to fall on Greg Vanny. Yeah, it's interesting. So I was out in Coachella Valley with um, one of our colleagues who has not yet announced that <laughs> they've made the switch to coverage. And I'm just realizing as I'm saying this now. So um, stay tuned. But I was out in Coachella Valley covering the preseason tournament. Um and uh, apparently Ricky Puig, th- there's a pronunciation issue still. You know, at first it was Ricky Puig when he had signed. And I think this is Yasiel Puig influenced, right? So yeah, sure. A little bit of that influence from baseball. But we, we settled on Puig last year and suddenly talking to comm staff who's been hanging out with him. He's, it, it's a little bit more of a pooch. Little pooch. bit more, but not like a full on like, you know, my dog Winston is a pooch. Sure, not quite sure. like that. So it's a mystery. It's still a mystery. Uh, it's part of the artistry we'll with him. 
Yeah, and, and, and I am also with you, by the way. I, I don't quite think that they're a Supporter Shield candidate, but I do think yeah. the Supporter Shield winner will come from the West because it looks like the much weaker, less balanced mm. conference on yeah, paper. True. So that's just my two cents. I think if you're staying in the West, this is a quicker one who's of interest to me. It's Adrian Heath. Uh, I think that so often when we talk about Adrian Heath, there are kind of two, three things that really come up. One, his height. Two, um, his nobody believes in us. You know, the media is out to get us. That whole sort of thing that sometimes helps get the team through its more difficult moments of a season. Um, but if we're talking tactically, it's the emphasis, the importance, and the reverence for the number 10 position. I think whether you're looking at Kaká in Orlando, if you're looking at Darwin Quintero as that second striker who was trying to play as a number 10 as well, um, in the earlier days of Minnesota United and then now with Emmanuel Reynoso or the past three seasons anyway, uh, that has been a central tenet of Adrian Heath's tactical philosophy is let's have a double pivot behind them to do a lot of the dirty yeah. work. Let's have the wingers trying to beat the back line and be able to pass the ball out to them. Let's have a striker work, have some hold up play for the number 10 to work off of. The whole thing worked with that player at the centerpiece. Emmanuel Reynoso is not there. Not because he was traded, not because he was transferred, not because he was released or his contract expired, but he's just not there. And there isn't that like-for-like switch on the roster. Robin Lode has done a lot of work in the midfield, um, tucking more centrally, also as an advanced forward and a deep-lying forward at times as well. I would imagine that he will get that start at the number 10. But overall, how is Adrian Heath able to operate without having that sort of focus in that central attacking role? We just haven't seen it from him and from his team since he joined Major League Soccer in 2015. So it'll be an interesting challenge. It's a big year for Minnesota United. It felt like last year they lost a lot of that momentum from the team that made it to the Open Cup final in 2019 and the Western Conference final in 2020. It's kind of a big year. Feels like it could be a transition year. I can tell you that from the fans who are, you know, just living in the same market as me. But um, very interesting case for me. Yeah, I, I actually think, Jeff, I don't know that Minnesota are poised to be good this season, but I think they are actually poised to have a pretty cohesive style, even without Reynoso. And and I don't know if this is going to play out or not, but right. one thing that I think sort of flown under the radar with Adrian Heath is how aggressive his team can be defensively at times, right? I mean, he is willing to press. He wants to press. I think, yeah. I mean, you've spent infinitely more time around him than I have, but it seems like, you know, he's a guy that is happy to be on the front foot. And I think that's kind of flown under the radar, similar to, like in Nashville, how folks talk about how they, they never play from the back. They never possess. Mm, it's not really true, mm-hmm. right? We get caught in, in one of these and the other, and it's almost always somewhere in the middle. I right. think I, I think Minnesota's ceiling is 100% lower or is is factually lower without Emmanuel Reynoso than it is with him on the team. But I also think like they're still going to have some sort of style. They're still going to have a vision. I think they're going to be aggressive. I think they're going to press Robin Lode and, and Ariaga and will trap maybe Hassani Dotson now that he's, he's back and, and involved. I mean, there's, there's pieces here. I don't think there's pieces here to really threaten for a trophy or, or to do much damage, but I think they're going to have right. something. And maybe maybe there's some moves in the transfer window that can elevate them here. I, I don't ultimately have a lot of stock in this team right now, but tactically speaking, I'm curious slash I'm, I'm kind of expecting this team to really lean into the heavy metal style that we've never seen them go all the way towards True. because they had to carry Reynoso. But now, now you don't, maybe, at least for a while. Who knows? I mean, I'm sure you know more of what's Truly, going on than I do. But I okay, there it is. I mean, there's an update that'll come up on The Athletic by the end of the week. I wrote a profile on Hassani Dots, and we touch on Reno, okay. so there's some newsy bits in there. I don't know if it'll be nice. out by the time the podcast is out. Probably not, but yeah. Yeah, there's it's a... Weird. It's, it's yeah, a weird. It's a weird situation. It's weird. Surely. But yeah, I'm just curious to see how this is going to swing Minnesota's pendulum, maybe towards the yeah. pressing side even further. Yeah, I think that that's that's the natural evolution. And I think that you look at who they brought in last year in the attack, you know, we're talking more about pressing forwards or wingers who want to join in a press and actually work collectively. Right. You're talking about Bongi Longwane, the South African international. You're talking about Mender Garcia, the designated player that they brought in. Um, uh, Luis Amaria does a little bit of this work, too. So I, I think that if they can get to be just kind of pests on the front. If they're able to have that sort of facilitation, they don't play very well in a four, three, three. They never really have. Um, I'm with you. I, I mean, the ceiling is obviously lower without Reynoso. If you don't have one of the league's five best playmakers, you're going to be worse. Like that's, that's just like obvious, but I'm with you. I think that this is the lowest I've been on Minnesota United as a collective since 2019. I, I think that there are some real questions about what the direction is and because they've struggled to develop players since they joined the league in 2017. So you don't really have that sort of group of players who had been there from the rough days or maybe from the start of their competitive window in 2019 who can say, hey, of continuity's sake, we got this. It's pretty much just Dane St. Clair and Hassani Dotson, who's coming off an ACL injury, as you alluded to. Um, Very interesting one for them. But there's a whole slew of teams that I have a lot of questions about once you get past the top three or four in the Western Conference. So it's wide open. 
I mean, like you said, it could be one good signing right before the window closes in the primary window. It could be in the summer, whatever the case is. um, Or Reynoso shows up, which would change everything entirely. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Okay, Jeff, do you want me to stay in the West or should I hop over to the East? I'll let you decide. Let's get across the river. We're really close to the river anyway. I mean, sure. St. Paul, Minneapolis, like it's right there. So let's just go to the east. Might as well. All right. So this this is the, the next one I had on my original list. So this works out well for me. Wayne Rooney is on my yeah, list. Yeah, me too. Good. Comes in midseason last year and DC win the wooden spoon, right? So right. not exactly the, the best uh, statement from DC United last year. But I mean, what... Like, what is this team? What What is Wayne Rooney doing in the United States as a manager? What oh, there's, I have yeah. so many questions, Jeff. DC, I, United, I didn't, you have a theory. Oh, can I hear the theory? It's pretty good. I mean, like, it's a pretty like just surface level theory, but I think at this point now, major league soccer is seen as a safer place for a coach to work through the rough edges Fair. of the coaching yep. early on, like a retired player turned coach. Um, than it is to go to the EFL championship to go yeah. to, you know, the kind of the, the next, the other next eight leagues. If you look at like a Portugal, a Holland or whatever the case yeah. is in Europe, I think that if you look at what Patrick Vieira was able to do with NYCFC and then you go look at Jesse Marsh, okay. Kind of different profile pl- of coach, but he did come up from major league soccer. And so then you get, um, Thierry Henry tried it for a year as well, right? I, I think that it is just kind of that, hey, if you don't want to deal with the, 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 the pressure cooker environment of the second yeah. tier of English football, you come to Major League Soccer because it worked out for Vieira. That's my theory anyway. It's no, that's, I, think that's, I think that's totally fair. I mean, it, it, when you have a chance to bunk with Steve, Ber- Steve Birnbaum, you got to do it. Right? <laughs> can you say no? Squad, you got to do it. You got to do it. No, I, th- I think that makes sense to me. My, I, I just, I have so many questions about this roster and this squad, and I know we're talking about coaches, I didn't realize I'd forgotten this. DC United still don't have a GM. So, I, I mean, it's, it's Wayne Rooney who's been calling the shots. Like, he, surely he's been doing all of this stuff. And the roster for me is a mess. Like, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. They signed a whole bunch of players this offseason. They, they could turn out to be good players that fit really well. I think it's going to take too long to gel for them to really, like, threaten many teams in the Eastern Conference. But what I will say is, when Rooney came in and did like some of the most tactically interesting stuff in the league last year, and I, I can't figure out if it's just them freewheeling it out on the field and players <laughs> sure. are rotating and just having a good time, or if this yeah. is Wayne Rooney drawing the lines on the field, Pep Guardiola style, and saying to his right back, hey, tuck in and build up, tuck in and progression, get back out wide in the final third in our kill pass. I mean, there's so many. Sure. I, I can't figure out how all the puzzle pieces fit together or really what they were trying to do even at times, but I know it was interesting. Whether interesting is a good term or a bad term <laughs> in this case, I think oftentimes in life it can mean bad, and maybe that's what I mean here. I, right. I just I have so many things that I wonder about DC United, but how Wayne Rooney gets this team rowing, whether they're rowing in the same direction or not, whether they continue to try to build down that positional play path, whether they reinforce that or whether they scrap it and realize we, we can't do it. I, I don't truly know the answers to any of those things, but all I know is that DC United were like a beautiful dumpster fire train wreck to watch last season, legitimately yeah. doing some fun things on the field. I don't really expect anything different this year, Jeff. I think it's going to be an interesting experiment to watch. And, and Wayne Rudy's coaching future is also certainly a storyline that will help that will help be developed by this Major League Soccer season. Yeah, and I think that that was kind of the, the main focus of one, why did he come to Major League Soccer? I think a lot of it was, hey, he just went through that whole consolidation and relegation situation with Darby County. Makes sense to get to something that's a little more stable, but people still assumed it would come somewhere else. And I, I think that also when... Frank Lampard was dismissed by Everton. There was obviously that that never-ending Will Wayne Rooney up and leave immediately to go coach his boyhood club, right? And and now that looks much more stable with Sean Dyche. So I don't think that that same sort of undercurrent is going to be flowing throughout the season with that specific club. But you better believe that any time a club gets relegated, so whether it's um, they will be speculated yep. to have interest in Wayne Rooney. I think that any club that gets promoted and then immediately struggles, Wayne Rooney will be one of the first names. So he is going to be still involved in those conversations, which always makes a coach interesting in Major League Soccer because it's outside pressure. And yes, he is very used to it from his playing days. He was very heavily scrutinized on and off the field, of course, for the duration of his career. But at the same point, it's a very different situation than when you're coaching Darby County, who's desperately trying to cling to a championship position against all odds, right? When you're in Major League Soccer, it's this weird kind of like either you can do really well or people forget about you. I can't tell you what Remy guard has done since he went to the Montreal impact. I can't tell you what Owen Coyle did after the Houston dynamo, let him go. Like there's just this, this lineage of coaches who have come from abroad and then have really struggled if they didn't do well in major league soccer. And so it is a risk. I think that the, the flip side of it is yes, it looks safe because there's no relegation because there's not the same media scrutiny 
um, there isn't, no matter what Miami tells you, there isn't that same sort of like, um, there isn't that same sort of pressure every single day, every single training session, whatever you're out of the eye, you're out of the eye of the clubs that you want to work for until you put yourself in their eye with a good performance. Mm -hmm. That's generally how coaches are viewed. Um, foreign coaches, I should say in major league soccer, in terms of their future job prospects, Ronnie Dyla, of course, then turns in a, a championship into a move back into a, a pretty good club situation in Europe. So I think that that will be the focus. Unfortunately, DC United doesn't look very good on paper right now. I, I think that a lot of people, I forgot until like two days ago that Christian Benteke is on that roster. Like it's just, it's not necessarily cohesive. There isn't something that screams, this is a Rooney team. Uh, and, and I think that you run the risk then if he gets relegated again, I think that was a free pass. Whoever had that Derby County job, it wasn't yeah. going to be held against them because of the points deduction, because of the situation the club got themselves into. But now you get to a point where, okay, but if you can't turn around an MLS team, how does that change the prospects? Thierry Henry struggled to get a job after Montreal. Part of that was self-ordained. Part of that was him wanting to just go to Belgium. It's a very interesting conversation with that. Um, we'll see. We'll see what happens yeah. with Rooney. I, I, I truly have no idea how this goes this year, but I, I it feels like a, a bigger gamble than we let on once you look at how this offseason went. Yep, 100% agree. It's it's going to be fascinating. I think he's worthy of being followed very closely, not just because he's Wayne Rooney, but because of all the other factors that you kind of mentioned there. Yeah, and, and if we're staying in the East for a little bit, well, now they're in the East. They started in the East, <laughs> but they're in the West for the duration of their tenure. You already alluded to Nashville. Let's just go there. Gary Smith at Nashville is going to be a very interesting one. Um, it, I think if I showed you a highlight package of Nashville in their yellow strips, so the jersey looks vaguely the same, and let's say we bring Orlando City in because they have a distinct purple. So if I just showed you a clip of Orlando City versus Nashville from any of the last three years, I think you would really struggle to tell me which year this was from unless you yes. were looking at who um, the right back was, probably. Because you would say Shaq Moore, okay, that's something different, right? But that's really it. They have been a very carbon copy team tactically since joining Major League Soccer. They've been mm. very difficult to break down. They've been a club that believes in their ability to break lines with their central midfield. They've been a team that relies on Anibal Godoy and Dax McCarty in the midfield. Um, and then they're a team that operates in the final third through Hani Mukhtar. And whatever opportunity he finds, whether it's with a step over, whether it's a well-timed run from a teammate or it's him setting up his own shot, that has been the bulk of their ideology from the run of play. And then, of course, there is that sort of, wow, they went from very good with set pieces, both attacking and defending, to, wow, they are not effective on set pieces last year. So it, it feels like it could be a season where it gets stale. It feels like a season where something needs to give, something needs to change, something about the ideology needs to be refreshed so that opponents don't know, okay, we just wait them out. Okay. We just get them with a corner kick and then we'll be able to tower over them, whatever the case may be. We aren't quite at a point where when you look at the roster, you say this change is coming. I don't think when you look at the players who are brought in, you know, Jacob Schaffelberg and Fafa Paco are going to add depth in the attack. They'll add kind of off-ball runners, which is necessary for for Mukhtar to have more room to roam after winning MVP. I don't think I see enough else where I'm going to say, okay, there's something different under Gary Smith in his fourth season in Major League Soccer. Yep. It seems to me that this is pretty much the same team, Jeff, and that's the point you're making, right? They finished fifth in the West last year on 50 points. It was a good year for them. It, it kind of feels to me like they need another MVP level season from Hani Mukhtar to they even do. be fifth again. And, and I think we both agree from and what the you said defender earlier. of the year return. Sorry right. to cut you off from no, Walker's no, you're right. Similar. It's, yeah. it's also true that the East is more difficult than the West, or at least that's the perception that I have. And it seems like you do coming into the season. Agreed. Nashville now in the Eastern Conference, like it, it's it's going to be harder for them to finish fifth this year in their conference than it was to finish fifth in their conference last year. So yeah, it's, I would be a little bit frustrated to be honest, if I was a Nashville SC fan, because yeah, there are great bones here. There are a lot of great bones, but it, it feels like they are missing out on an opportunity to really take this team to the next level. And I, they're handicapped a little bit by the AK Loba thing where he still counts right. as a DP on their roster. I mean, that's, that's a problem. But the question for Gary Smith specifically to dial back in on the coaching front is, you know, can he get more out of this team? Can they, will, can they, or will they evolve one step beyond what they've been? And it's, it seems to me that maybe there's been a little bit of tactical evolution over time in Nashville. Yeah. But I mean, can there be, can there be more on that front? I'm, I'm skeptical. I'll admit I'm, I'm skeptical about this team taking a step forward. I think they will be good and competent and, and capable in this MLS season. I am not sure that there'll be anything more than that. And if you're Gary Smith, you know, that's, that's probably not exactly what you wanted to hear about your team heading into this season. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, there was already some duress among the fan base last year. You would look after any time that a win became a draw late in a game or a draw became a loss, and there was uh, you know, that, that the, the hashtags that go out about every single coach going out or whatever the case is, right? Like, there already was some of that sort of bubbling under with Nashville fans. And if it continues, if you have another season where you're playing for 1-0, you're playing for 1-1, whatever, depending on the matchup, home and away, you name it. I don't know if that's going to energize a market that has, by the way, become pretty savvy about their soccer, that they've, they've been very well informed. They have a very, very good local media scene, um, both the newspapers and the indies. Uh, so they are up to date. They know what they're looking for from their team. They know that the players that they wish were upgraded over or the players that they don't feel are getting the most out of individually within Gary Smith's system, the players that are maybe held back by that sort of rigidness at times, especially away from home that the team can play with. Um, If that doesn't change this year, I mean, there's going to be more pressure. This is a club that does expect to be more competitive than just being competitive. I know that that's redundant, but they don't just want to be a team that isn't going to lose a game. They want to be a team that now is able to win games. And I think to make that change, something's got to give. They're a little predictable. I agree with you. There have been some more nuanced changes over the last few years with how that team plays, but by and large, it looks the same. And that is not something that any coach will want to have said about their team compared to three years prior. It just isn't. Totally agree. Well, I'm going to pick another team that wears yellow. How's that for a transition? Boom. That's, that's the stuff that people want to hear. Oh, it's uh, going to be we'll, anyone's guess who you're talking about. Here, I know. Truly. Can't imagine who this would be. Uh, Wilford Nance in Columbus, I think is an obvious choice here. Mm-hmm. I I think Wilford Nance is a fantastic coach. He, you mentioned Thierry Henry's year in Montreal. Nance is the one who sort of left to pick up the pieces. I don't think that was Henry's fault. It was a brutal year for CF Montreal, playing away from home, living away from home. All that stuff right. just flat out sucked for them. So Nance comes in. And I think he did a great job with this team in 2021, despite the fact that they missed the playoffs. They were a really good team that year. If not really good, they were just good, which was an improvement kind of where they'd been. And last year, they were straight up really good. I think CF Montreal was a, was a really nice team, finished second in the Eastern Conference. Nancy basically now functions as the crew's big summer signing, you know, a big, yeah, big offseason signing, true. right? It's not, that's, that's it's not a yeah. player. It's not Christian Ramirez, even though I, I like Christian Ramirez as a player. It's yeah. Wilfer Nancy. Can he transform this team? Can he do the stuff that Caleb Porter brags about being able to do? And actually pull it off, right? Can he do it successfully? Can he get them playing with the ball? Can he get them breaking through teams? Can he establish a solid defensive foundation without the ball? Do all of the stuff that I think he did in Montreal with a different roster, with a roster that doesn't have as many center backs as he wants, that doesn't have the profile of center backs that he wants. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jonathan Mensah goes out the door when San Jose all of a sudden needs a center back that tells me that, you know, this this roster isn't where Wilfred Nancy wants it to be. He's happy right. to part with players because he knows that there's going to be a slight rebuilding and retooling process. So it's going to take some time. I don't think we should, you know, start, not that this is really American soccer media's tendency anyway, but I don't think we should start <laughs> burning down if Wilfred Nancy and the crew struggle in the first month or two of the season. But I have my eyes really fixed on Nancy to see how he does, because if he does well here, Jeff, after doing well in Montreal, like what more could a European team looking for a still relatively young, exciting, successful coach in a, in a reasonable budget range? What else could they ask for? Right. That's what we're missing. I feel like in MLS right now, in terms of coaches and American and and Canadian and all these other coaches playing in this area, I feel like that's what's what's missing was we're still not seeing coaching stars developed in this league. And to me, more than Jim Curtin, more than Steve Torundolo, more than Pat Noonan, Will Fernandez is the furthest down that track in succeeding in Columbus. You know, it might take a little bit of time, but putting out a good product on the field this year and maybe coming back and doing even better next year with a retooled roster, because I, I don't think the roster is 
all that good. There are good pieces, but I'm, I'm just not there yet on this team. But He's I mean, if Nancy thrives here, like he could be the coach in Major League Soccer coming out that teams are actually wanting and sort of starting this progression out of MLS that we've just never seen before. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the playoff expansion, one of the teams that's going to benefit the most is Columbus because I think that there is, again, the Eastern Conference, there's so many competitive teams that I agree with you. They don't quite look like they're going to be on the same level as some of the other teams ahead of them. But I think that if there's eight, nine play-in game, they can be a team that would be very difficult in a one-off setting. Um, And then also in a best of three, potentially. I I, I think that with Nance, you've, you've said a lot of what I had on my list as well with him. What the other things that I will say is I agree with you in the fact that he did seem like the most MLS independent quality coach that we've seen in some time, because I think that when you, when you think of Montreal last year, you're not necessarily thinking of, okay, well they had this MLS life or yeah. Okay. Kai Kamara, bad example, but like they have these (laughs) players who, who know the league really well. They have these players who are able to exploit these matchups. They, they feasted on this home atmosphere, whatever the case is. I think that there are some of these oddities where you would look and say, okay, with Josh Wolf, it works really well because Josh Wolf is working with a specific player pool, Mm -hmm. a refined number of players on his roster. Steve Shirondolo works well because he is able to add that defensive fortitude. He's able, to get the most out of guys like Mamadou Fall and then immediately flip turn and bring in these veterans who are going to respect him because he has international experience, right? Like, I think that there's just a very different profile with Nance that I think does bode well for him going abroad. The other thing that's going to be interesting, because we've already brought up Caleb Porter's name, um, everyone talks about the, the Porter trends, right? The idea that, you know, never makes the playoffs and consistent seasons and all of that. Um, keep in mind in the first season, the Portland Timbers did not look like they were in a very good way. Once we were in 2018 and Giovanni Savarisi took over and he was able to get them to MLS cup where they lost to Atlanta United. So there is precedence of Caleb Porter having his replacement do more with the players who essentially were Mm. on that roster. And so whether or not that plays out here, we'll see. I think that they have some really good pieces. Of course, Cucho Hernandez comes in, helped Lucas Elrayon in the final third. I think Aiden Morris could be in for a big year, um, now fully recovered from that knee and everything. Um, I agree with you. It just doesn't quite look that they get there. But if there's a coach who has proven to get yep. that much more out of a roster, it is what Nancy was able to do with Montreal over the last couple of seasons. So it's a really intriguing fit for that club. Um, it's a club that it's a legacy club. They're going to expect to be competitive every single season and expect to challenge for hardware. I don't think it comes this year, but I think that he is in a better situation to take that leap from making teams really good to potentially challenging for silverware now in Columbus with the roster that yep. he has flawed as it is than he ever was with Montreal. Totally agree. And, th- and this can be the thing that helps Will Fernandez continue to distance himself from the pack of, of coaches that other teams from around the world might be looking into and, and continue to further his reputation. I, like I said, I think he's a fantastic manager and what he does at this next stop after by pretty much every measure you could ever hold him up against after succeeding in Montreal, I think is, is just going to be a fascinating story. Absolutely. Um, continuity sake this time, we'll stay in the East for one more from me. And then I think I have one more in the West on my list too. Um, two more in the West. Very quick though. Um, Gonzalo Pineda, I think mm. is going to be very, very interesting this year because Atlanta since Tata Martino has left has not been cohesive on the field, off the field, in the community, you name it. It's just been, it's been the wilderness for them. And, and there's been, they've, they've built their own oasis in the desert, right? They, they're able to afford it. They're able to say, hey, look, I found this pond, but the pond doesn't necessarily have the water that's actually going to help them get through the rest of the desert. For whatever reason, this is a terrible metaphor, but for whatever reason, it has just been so incoherent in terms of how the roster looks compared to the coach, in terms of how quickly the coach was hired and then dismissed. If you're looking at someone like Heinze, um, they've had some serious issues. They've had some serious poor decisions. And now you bring in Garth Lagerway. Garth Lagerway is someone who's going to be familiar with Pineda from their time together at Seattle, but he's also going to be familiar with winning titles consistently. And so the question is, Atlanta is starting to become a cautionary tale among expansion clubs. If you talk to clubs who have come in the last three years, they'll look and say, okay, we want to do something impressive. We want to do something flashy and showy and something that gets fans excited like Atlanta did, but we want it to be sustainable. We don't want to do what Atlanta did and put all our eggs in the first two, three years and then immediately get caught unaware. Um, and that's that's been the case with them. They haven't figured out how to play without that Martino sort of flair and ideology. Now Joseph Martinez is gone, so that kind of gets rid of that last sort of remnant of that era and certainly the last strong remnant of that era. So you can t- finally turn a new page and maybe that will help Pineda out a little bit as well, get a new TP striker as well. It, it still feels like it could be a case where despite that past history, if he is not able to get something more cohesive, he's not able to get something that's less uh, reliant on individual talent dribbling through and creating their own shots as it has been the last few years. Um, 
the pressure could be on because I think that this is a club that does not want to be seen as, you know, the East's version in a much shorter time frame of the LA Galaxy where they were really competitive and now they're just confusing. Agreed. I, I, it seems to me that this is this is both the first year that we can fairly evaluate Gonzalo Pineda as a head coach. And yeah, it is also true. maybe the last year he'll get in Atlanta if things go poorly, right? Because of the timing of when he comes in, all the injuries last year then, which took up really his first full season with the club. I mean, I, I don't really feel like I could see his blueprints on the team last year. I mean, it, we, were, we were lucky we got to see 11 healthy players for Atlanta last year, which is, <laughs> which is unfortunate when you think about all the injuries, but also you know frustrating yeah. because of all the money they'd spent. And you mentioned the roster construction. It really has not made sense over the last few mm-hmm. years now. And it seems to me that Garth is coming in and has reset a bunch of stuff. It's not all the way there. Uh, the midfield for me is still a big old problem here, and that might be enough to really derail this season. But the attacking structure is going to be better with the different player profiles they have getting healthier players back a couple of new additions as well i mean this is going to be gonzalo pineda's chance to do his thing like tell us how you want to play show us how you want to play every manager tells you that they want to do the same thing and so really show us is is more what i mean there but like (laughs) this is the chance to do it last year really wasn't and it it sucks for him and it sucks for atlanta and, and for their fans but you know that year was basically a lost year this is an opportunity now to reset and to really try to become this Atlanta United team that still people hold on to in their heads, and certainly Atlanta fans do. So, yeah, massive season for Gonzalo Pineda, huge season for Atlanta. I am I'm fascinated by this one. I don't think fans will like to hear it, especially fans of Atlanta, but they really haven't been cohesive since Frank DeBoer left. Not since he got there, since he left, because like it or not, you, you didn't like the playing style, especially in contrast to what they were doing in 2018, but it was effective. They won an open cup. They were um, still competitive in MLS that first year too. So like Campione's cup, I think they beat Club America that year, if I remember right. So like they, they did have these successes with a lot of the same players, but also with a more restricted ideology um, or just a different form of ideology sure. than Tata Martino has. I think that sometimes people look at Miguel Almiron and Joseph Martinez and say, well, what fun, what amazing, whatever, right? Um, there, there was much more pragmatism to it. There was a little bit of suffer ball before the fun ball, um, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we ever really talk about fun ball, though. Uh, we should. We totally should. I don't know should. what we're doing that we're not talking about that, but we should. Which teams play fun ball next week yeah. on the athletic soccer show. Right? <laughs> um, just a couple more kind of quick hits here in the Western Conference. Um, Vanny Sartini is actually in a pretty similar situation here with mm. Gonzalo Pineda. He came in with all sorts of kind of mid-season 2021, galvanized the whole group. Everyone loves an amazing soundbite, an amazing persona on the touchline and, and being able to, to get more out of that team than, than his predecessor, Mark Dos Santos, had um, in that stretch run to be able to get them into the postseason. But last year, they... Again, it just it looked like teams had kind of figured out how they wanted to operate. Teams were able to focus more on Ryan Gold. They were able to um, neutralize a lot of what made Vancouver so uh, successful and effective in that late stage of 2021, which, by the way, they were already kind of on the precipice of doing once Gold had showed up. Um, he just kind of turned the key that Dos Santos hadn't had the time to turn, really, as he was fumbling in his pockets and getting fired or whatever. Um, <laughs> bad metaphors. You're on the right show, buddy. You're on the right show. Getting fired or whatever. That is or great. whatever. Or, or whatever. Yeah, Losing whatever. a job. He is yeah, severance, hopefully. Um, but I think that when you look at Vancouver this year, um, there's still questions. There, there's still a lot of questions. And, and that's been since day one. That's been under Carl Robinson. That's been under his predecessors. And that's been in the years since is there are talented players, undeniably talented players on the Vancouver Whitecaps roster who would start on just about any MLS team. The question is how you get the most out of those players, how you cohesively get them to do something that is replicable week in, week out, and something that is also able to be modified subtly so that you are able to catch opponents off guard. And I just have never really seen that sort of evolution from that franchise. Strangely, if I'm thinking of any coach, it has very much been, this is the coach, this is how they play. This is the coach, this is how they play. So I want to see something more inventive. I want to see something that's a little bit more um, malleable perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, and and I know that Sartini did have some of that in 2021, but last year, once, once you get to a point where you're really kind of scrambling for results and you're really trying to push for the playoffs, fun ball goes out the door first before anything else. Right. And it's, uh, it makes me sick and <laughs> it makes me upset because this is entertainment. And at a certain point you should do it in a way that's entertaining. And I think that that is very much in his ethos. We'll just see how much that's able to play out this year. Yeah. Vancouver is a fascinating one. I, I'm not, very high on Vanny Sartini as a manager. Uh, like, like if the if the analogy here is Vanny Sartini is to is to wine as I'm to this to Vanny Sartini, I'm just not there, right? Vanny loves his wine. I don't I don't necessarily love Vanny. That was that was really not my best work, Jeff. You're keeping I mean, up. This is great. We'll bring I'm you. I'm trying. Back. I'm trying to keep up with you. I don't think that was my best work. But anyway, like I I don't 
I haven't seen it yet with Vinny Sartini. It seemed yeah. like this team pressed like too aggressively last year and didn't have the personnel and didn't have the quality to actually succeed in that way. From what I understand about what, what we're going to see from them coming into this year, it's going to be a, a lot of the same stuff, maybe some formation tweaks, which could be fun. But I mean, this is a this is a team with talent. I don't know that this is the most talented team in the West. I don't know if it's one of the top five or six most talented teams in the West, but there is talent here. You mentioned the pieces. They are there. Yeah. If this team, you know, puts in a, a poor season and struggles and it's not for injuries and, and you know we can sort of trace the the lines back here i think a lot of that's going to end up resting on danny sartini so he could be a guy who has a ton of momentum coming into 2024 with a team that made the playoffs and did well and, and looked like they were building towards something or he could be digging in his pockets and looking for a new job mark santos style so i, I don't know what that's this right. is going to look like but um yeah pieces here for sure and if it doesn't go well i think we're going to be looking in sartini's direction yeah, and, and I think we also might start looking at Axel Schuster's direction too, just because you know this this was a very strong Axel Schuster decision. They had just come off of some really good regular season results. I don't think Mark Dos Santos had actually lost in his last like five games aside from the Canadian Championship. They get an upset mm-hmm. there. He makes this decision, brings in Vanny Sartini. I think there's a certain point where it's like, okay, this is why we did it. It wasn't just to make the playoffs in that 10-game sprint in 2021. It was so that we were able to build to something more. And I think when you look at the roster, we've said there are talented players. Brian White is someone that I think a lot of teams would look at as a domestic striker that they like. I think that Julian Gressel is another player who, um, you know, now newly minted U.S. international Julian Gressel put some respect in his name. He is going to want to be able to come in and do what he's done at his other clubs, but more successfully after the years in D.C., how he kind of languished out there. Um, Tristan Blackman was a player I still think Charlotte FC should have held on to in the expansion draft. I have no idea what they were thinking about trading him, but so it goes. Like they do have players who not just on the high end of the roster and, and not just in terms of like kind of the, the domestic core, like the Thomas Assaults and the, the, the Russell Tyberts, those kind of guys who are, who are going to be, I don't know, who could possibly come in and out of the Canadian men's national team pool as well. It's not just that, right? I think that you're just kind of missing more along the lines of what Ryan Gold has brought. They do have a couple more DPs on the rosters. Andres Cubas, a midfielder from Paraguay, and then, of course, um, Sergio Cordova from Venezuela at the number nine. So we'll see what they look like. I still, I'm very low on them. I have them in the bottom tier of the Western Conference at this point, but I think that if we're able to see some of that coaching that made Axel Schuster decide yep. this was the guy we need in this club, if we're able to see that this year, theoretically, they should be much more competitive in a wide open West. Yep. Uh, the, the last one on my list, Jeff, is Lucha Gonzalez to stay out West. Same, I'll run perfect. through this one Great. quickly. Yeah, okay, awesome. So it, it seems to me that this year is going to pose challenges for Lucha Gonzalez in, in two different ways. So the first way is Tactically, so we 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 mm-hmm. know of him from FC Dallas, where they play a four two three one. They want to have the ball. They want to build from the back. Ultimately, he gets fired from that job. I some of that should be on Lucha Gonzalez, and I'm sure he would tell you there are things that he would do differently in hindsight. But at the same time, that was a team that that wasn't spending a lot, and when they were mm-hmm. spending, they weren't spending particularly well, and that wasn't really Lucha <laughs> right. Gonzalez's fault. So the roster yeah. just straight up wasn't very good. He gets fired. I think what was that. 2021 it feels like an eternity ago now yeah, either yeah, way September ish 21 yeah yeah there it is so it's this it's this Dallas team that has a vision right which was fun to watch then he goes and is, is an assistant with Greg Baralter on the U.S. men's national team a little bit of a different vision but a lot of overlap there with a different shape and so when I come yeah. back to San Jose the first challenge for Luigi Gonzalez is figuring out how he's going to use his players to put out a competitive product onto the field and I do think San Jose has enough quality to not get embarrassed in the same way that they were embarrassed under Matias Almeida repeatedly. So right. there is going to be a step forward. They've made some moves. The, the midfield is really the most interesting part to me. I think it's going to be a back four. They don't have enough quality center back depth to, to go to a three, and, and Lucci's never really done that anyway. It's going to be a back four. There's going to be a front three. The question is, is it a 2-1 in midfield or is it a 1-2 in midfield? And I maybe this doesn't matter at all, right? But these, these are the things that I, I wonder about as I fall asleep at night, Jeff. So I'm wondering, <laughs> is it going to be Carlos Guerrezo next to Jackson Ewell with, with Jimmy or Montero in front of him as a number 10? Mm. Or is it going to be Montero and Ewell or, or maybe somebody else? as dual number eights with Grezo, new DP midfielder behind them. I don't know, but that's one thing yeah. I'm wondering about. So the tactical side of the nitty-gritty day-to-day stuff is the first thing, but let's not kid ourselves. It, the, another major reason why Luigi Gonzalez is in San Jose is to get this academy like churning out more Cruz Medinas, to get them that's churning right. out more Nico Securisis, which is harder to say than I think anybody would imagine. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, about, like, it's about bringing these players along and getting them into the team, right? Luigi Gonzalez, before he was the manager in Dallas, was the academy director, worked with you know 8,000 different future U.S. men's national team players during his time right. with Dallas. Can he do the same in San Jose, which I think is generally regarded around a lot of different MLS circles as like the next big untapped market? You know, Can they find more of these players and can he integrate them successfully into the first team, which is hard as much as we, and we don't really okay. do this anymore, 
But as much as we do hashtag player kids on Twitter, like it's hard to do that. You, it's one thing for me to sit at my computer and tweet that out and say like, oh, it's ridiculous that, that these kids aren't playing. It's another right. to like put your job in their hands, which is not quite as much as of, of what it is in MLS, although it does happen as, as it might be other places to bring us all the way back around to Rooney. But there is yeah. still an element of risk here <laughs> when you're playing these different kids. So I want to see what the tactics look like in San Jose. I want to see what the foundation is built on the field and what that looks like. And then I want to see how the academy is continuing to be developed and how that really integrates with the first team. Tons of fascinating things around Lucha Gonzalez this year. I think he's a pretty good coach. Maybe mm-hmm. this is the stop that we see him really become a great coach. And, and I think that that's a perfect way to frame it, too, is I think that people liked what he was doing tactically at Dallas. People really liked what he was doing in terms of bringing young players in through Dallas. But we never like there was Lucci ball. We called it Lucci ball. Right. And it was very aggressive. And sometimes it did push players a little bit too hard. So the question will be, one, how do you scale that back in a way that doesn't make you less competitive in games, which is a very difficult thing to do. It's always more difficult to take away while retaining quality just because instinctively you think in order to be good, you need to do more. I think often you can overcomplicate things with your tactical direction as a coach um, and, and say too much and try to have too much going on where eventually players just kind of get lost in the weeds. I think that that's actually an evolution you saw with Austin compared to 2021 last season mm. was we're still going to do the positional play philosophies. We're still going to have our tenants. Yes, you're all more familiar with it, so you're going to be better with it, but let's try to simplify it a little bit more so that it's something we can do regardless of the game state, regardless of what the opponent's throwing at us. I think with Lucci, you don't quite have that same sort of um, built in, this is exactly what he's going to be looking for for the San Jose Earthquakes. And part of that's because he's been away from the club scene for a year and a half. How much of this is going to be influenced by how Greg Burhalter played? Is it going to be very much, how much are we going to hear about verticality, right? I did a 30-minute sit-down with uh, Luchi Gonzalez last week, and he didn't say the word once, which was refreshing. But he also did talk <laughs> about how much he did bring back from that World Cup cycle and from that World Cup experience and how that's going to make him a better coach tactically and how that ideologically is going to help him with coaching players. I'm, uh, this is a quote that's going to be in this piece that comes out whenever it comes out on The Athletic about Lucci, but, um, quote, a player's never ready. This is about his youth development. A human's never ready. We're never ready for something. We can be prepared, and there's a difference. If we can be prepared, then we can show our best, and we'll learn from that. Then with time, we become ready, but especially for these younger years with these younger players, let's prepare them well. And I, I think that you you think back to the last couple of years under Almeida, and you think about square pegs and round holes, and him feeling like he wasn't supported, and him trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with Magnus Eriksson when Mikel Starr has already been gone for wow. a year and a half, right? Wow. There's a pull. That's, I completely forgot about that. Oh, there's man. A pull. All right. Yeah. That's right. So, the, so there's just like, it was incoherent in so many ways and it was really entertaining. Sometimes it was entertaining soccer as well, but it was something that was very interesting to follow along with, not for the right reasons. Um, San Jose has been historically arguably the most underperforming club in major league soccer, especially of the clubs that have been around for longer than a decade. I think that if you look at what they've been able to do, they've had their moments, they've had their blips, they've had their supporter shield. They've had their MLS cup wins. I think that they had their heyday in 2001 to 2003, but since then, I I mean, they had Wondolowski, they had the all time leading goal scorer and they missed the playoffs more than they made it. And, and, And over the last decade, they've made the playoffs twice. They've won three, one, or they finished last in the Western conference three times. They've made the playoffs twice. So this is a team that really does need to be competitive now. They can't really handle one year where they're finishing 13th in the West. And it's, it's always crazy, by the way, because like you see preseason predictions and a team's predicted 10th, and you're like, that's so low. That's one spot outside the playoffs this year. There are going to be four or five other teams below the 10th place finisher in each conference. It's a huge league. So just keep that in mind for scale, listener, um, as we're going through MLS predictions, um, which you've probably been listening to all week, I would imagine, if you're listening to this show at this point. Um, but I think that with, with Lucci there's going to be that pressure to turn around. So I think that a player who's really going to benefit is Cade Cowell specifically, who has been sort of that square peg in the round hole. We need to throw him out there. We need a homegrown kid who's going to be able to get the fans excited, someone who's going to be promising, someone who can work in the U.S. national team pool, which he has. But now the question is, can we make him consistent? Can we get him to do the same thing where we know this is what Cade Cowell wants to do? Because I think so often Matias Almeida looked and said, physical marvel, that's fantastic. Let's do a throwback. Let's let a player who's just very athletic who liked the ball at his feet, just kind of do his thing and make it work. And sometimes he was set up to fail, I feel like, in in certain games and against certain opponents and tactical philosophies. How can you get more out of him consistently? How can you get, um, you know, Benji Kakanovic to to continue what caught the eye of Almeida, but do it in a way that fits what Lucci wants to do with Jeremy Abobasi? Is he going to be able to turn into that, you know, 15-plus goal scorer regularly that a lot of us have expected since he was drafted in 2017 instead of being someone who's being asked to do so much off the ball that he doesn't get time to set up his shot? in the box. Um, 
Nico Sakiris, I think, could be a really big breakout player. I think that he could ch- challenge Montero possibly for minutes. Um, in if you, especially if you try to fit it into a four-three-three, I know Jackson Ewell is probably going to be in for a big year as well. Um, with Gruezo doing much more of the defensive work and Jonathan Mensa, Mensa, who we mentioned in the Columbus section, coming in to fortify that back line, so Ewell doesn't have to play center back anymore, which mm-hmm. is ideal, I think, for everybody involved. Um, it's fascinating. I, I could see San Jose being that sort of dark horse that everything just clicks magically. Um, not magically, it's, it's through work, obviously, but but it clicks in a way that we haven't seen with this club in years and years and years. I could see them finishing top four in the West. I could also see them missing the playoffs in entertaining but spectacular fashion. Um there's a whole range of how this could go, and I think a lot of it will ultimately come down to the original point that we made. Who is Luigi Gonzalez as a tactician? What is he going to want to do with this group of players? How replicable will it be for them with just one preseason to work? Because keep in mind, even though he was hired in August last year, he didn't join the team until preseason this year because of his U.S. responsibilities. Yeah, plenty of work left to be done for Lucha Gonzalez. There's no doubt about that. But yeah, I, I think I'm totally with you about this team being that their ceiling is higher now than I remember it being for quite some time. Yeah, I, I also think their floor is higher, but I, I'm not totally sure about that. I mean, there's lots of things that could still go wrong here. But yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't I wasn't curious to see what this year looks like for Lucci and what kind of coach he really is now after a couple of years of of not being a head coach. So, yeah, it'll it'll be worth watching for sure. Yeah, and and then ultimately at the end of the day, they're probably one Carlos Gruezo injury away from from things yeah. going full yep. chaos again, as was the case. I mean, because you have Judson back at the number six, and I think so often we saw how that would play out if if he is getting full nineties every single week. I think that you do need a little bit more of defensive positional responsibility. So that's going to be something for Luigi to work on with him as well, uh, Joe. This is awesome. I think this is great. I, I think that I mean this this is a, a fun lens into talking about it because. It, Coaches are some of the most visible people at these clubs, but I think so often we, we kind of remove them when we're talking about teams and we like occasionally we'll say like Bob Bradley wants to do this with Toronto or whatever. But but I think zeroing the conversation in on this is really enlightening and helpful. Um, you've got some cool stuff cooking as well with back yield um, and, and some new stuff that you announced this week, last week. Yeah, it's yeah. A blur no, at this point. Talk to me about it. it. It is all a blur, Jeff. This is what happens when you have MLS fever like we do. You wear gray. <laughs> time is a blur. Time's always a blur. Yeah, so so we launched something new this week. It's called Insights. It's a project that I've been working on with Bobby Warshaw, who's a name I think a lot of folks out there will know. Uh, yeah. We've been working on it for a while now. It's basically a new premium tier on com, And the idea is we're trying to take MLS analysis and ideas and tactics and data and, and talk about it in new ways and use it in new ways and provide a hub for it and to add resources that just straight up don't exist anywhere else. So we've got a, an MLS-specific model that, that Bobby has helped out a lot with uh, that we're using to preview and project every single MLS game. Jeff, there's a lot of MLS games. I don't know if you heard about that. So there's Several. a lot of content there. Uh, depth charts for every single team. That is, yeah. as I've never seen being publicly available, updated throughout the season. That just doesn't exist so, right now. Scouting reports for every single team in the league, grinding the film. Injury suspension reports, that stuff doesn't exist either. MLS has one, but it's it's not updated all that well. We no, are we're updating not, this yeah. thing every single day and, and providing more context there. So there's a bunch of other stuff in the works as well. I'm I'm like genuinely excited about this. I think it's stuff that, like I said, just isn't out there. I think it's cool information. It's not going to be for everyone, right? It's going to be for people that get way too deep in the weeds. But maybe, listener, if you're listening at this point, this, this <laughs> is you. Maybe I'm describing you. So people can go to tobacco.com to check this out. We've got a bunch of other, you know, written content and other things up there as well that I'm, I'm really proud of. I'm happy with the work that we're doing. That's the, that's the spiel. So it's called insights on backheel.com. If you're looking for more MLS insight and, and info, that's a good spot for you. Yeah. I, I'm with you. If someone's in the 50th minute of listening to us talk about 10 MLS <laughs> coaches, we're interested in, they're probably interested in insights as well. So uh, really, really good way to frame that. Uh, Joe, thanks for fighting the fever with me. Appreciate it as always, uh, you know, where, where can people check you out? Where, uh, anything else that you want to plug quick, any pieces, podcasts, one-offs, appearances that you're doing cameos on sitcoms or whatever. <laughs> I wish the last one would be the most fun without a doubt. No, <laughs> first of all, Jeff, thank you for having me. There's no one I'd rather fight the fever with than you hashtag fight the fever. Um, yeah, other stuff, <laughs> people can, people can just find me on Twitter at Joe C Lowry. That's probably the best stuff. I'll link to everything from there. Um, yeah, th- that's easier than running through the full list, but no, Jeff, thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun. It was. And thank you, listener, for sticking with us here on the Athletic Soccer Show. We will be back with more stuff. It might be about MLS, might be fever-ridden, might be something completely different. That's the magic of this feed. So thank you for listening and have a great day.